Bibles, join me in the book of Exodus as we round out chapter 2 today. Our series is Jehovah Unveiled. So far, God has revealed himself as a promise keeper as revealed in just the opening verses of chapter 1. God had promised to Joseph that their time in Egypt would be numbered, that it would be limited, that they would indeed go back to the promised land, the land that God promised to Abraham. And so Joseph, uh, as he was uh, about to die, he left instructions for his bones to be taken with them as they went back to the promised land. So was his trust. He believed the promise of God. He was so sure that God would keep his promise that he left instructions. As I'm dying, make sure that you keep track of my bones so that you can carry me to the promised land when God keeps his promise. And it took centuries for God to keep that promise, but he did. Our theme verse is in Exodus chapter 6. Let's Say it together if you would, Exodus chapter 6, 6 and 7. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. The burdens of the Egyptians were indeed great. In today's passage uh, that we're going to read in just a moment, we'll begin in in verse 11 of Exodus chapter 2. In today's passage, Moses avenges one of his Hebrew brothers because of the burdens imposed by Pharaoh. So in the big picture of Exodus, we're going to see how God's relief from Pharaoh's burden is comprehensive, complete, and permanent. Whereas Moses' relief, at least so far in the passage, was not. So let's read it together. Exodus chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. You can follow along as I read. One day, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father, Reuel, I'm going to call him Jethro because that's the way we know him the rest of the book. He said, how is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, 
Then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was, to, was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. Let's pray. Lord, calm our hearts. Open our minds to hear from your word. So Lord, I ask, overshadow me. Guide my own thoughts and words so that we might think, believe, and do as you desire as a result of this passage. In Jesus' name, amen. Our big idea this morning is that God followers sacrifice for their relationship with God. God followers sacrifice for their relationship with God. And what we see, first of all, is Moses' struggle. He has this identity crisis that is unfolding before our eyes in verse 11. One day when Moses had grown up, remember where we left him last week? Last week was the birth of Moses. And so you will recall that Moses' parents hid him for three months. And when they could no longer hide him, his mother fashioned or purchased for him a little basket uh, and made it watertight so she could put Moses in the river. And she did just that, put him in the river, which was in a way obeying the king's edict that all the little boys be thrown into the river. He puts, she puts Moses into the river and he floats downstream to where Pharaoh's daughter was bathing. Again, I do believe that that was completely on purpose. And so the, the daughter of Pharaoh finds this little baby, immediately falls in love with the child, and there's Miriam, Moses' sister, says, I happen to know someone who can take care of the child for you. Would you like me to call her for you? And so Moses' own mother gets to raise Moses for a few years. We're not told how long. He was probably four or five at the end of, uh, of last week's paragraph uh, as, as he joins Pharaoh's household by going into the uh, Pharaoh's daughter's house. So he becomes a prince of Egypt. He's now 40 years old. Verse 11 simply says Moses had grown up. What happens in these decades in between? Well, we could scour scripture for cross-references. We might learn a little bit. Uh, we could speculate all day long, but what we're going to do today is just look at what Exodus says. It says nothing. <laughs> it gives us absolutely no details as to what happened between his uh, birth and being then raised at least for a few years by uh, his parents and then given to uh, the princess of Egypt. He's now 40 years old. Nothing is given as to what happens in these 30 plus years, probably 35 plus years. But here's what we do see today. We see some of Moses' character being developed and uh, displayed here in verse 11. Rather than staying in the palace, which would have been comfortable and easy, he goes out. And where does he go? He doesn't go to the places that are well kept. He doesn't go to the upscale parts of the city. No, he goes to where the slaves are hard at work. Why does he go there? Why would a prince ever go and see where all the dirty work is happening? That's well, because he knows he's a Hebrew. Right? He's relating with the Hebrew people. He identifies as a Hebrew. 
even though he doesn't look it, even though his status wouldn't display it, he identifies with his own people, the Israelite people. There was no YouTube or Twitter or Snapchat. There was no broadcast evening news or even 35 millimeter film cameras back then. You know that. But the fact is, not one of us in this room has lived in an era where there was no visual representation of things. So when Moses wanted to know what it actually looked like for his people to be uh, enslaved by the, the, the very Pharaoh whom, whose household he was part of, he had to actually go out and look at it. So that's what he did. He went out and he saw what was happening to his people. He had no visual representation to amplify the verbal reports that he had of how the Hebrew people were being treated. So he went out. He went out and he saw the slaves firsthand. And what he saw horrified him. Now, the scripture doesn't say that he was horrified. What it says is he responded by killing a man, he responded with rage. He saw an Egyptian beating one of his own Hebrew people. Moses had grown up an Egyptian, a prince. But with this identity crisis that is forming in him, he is now beginning to identify more and more with the Hebrew people. So he reacts with anger. I want to call it murderous rage, but I'm not quite sure that what happened here would classify as murder because murder takes intent. There's no indication to believe that he went out thinking, oh, I'm going to kill one of those slave masters today. That wasn't his intent. Now, Scripture does state that he knew what he was doing in the moment. He looked around, made sure nobody was watching before he struck down the Egyptian slave master. He did know what he was doing when he buried the evidence, taking this lifeless corpse and burying it in the sand. But there was a witness. Of course there was a witness. He rescued a guy from being beaten by this Egyptian slave master. The guy who was rescued was certainly a witness, even if there was no one else watching. And this witness was a blabby one. The very one who had been rescued from the unjust beating blabbed and probably told everyone. Because in verse 13, when he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? Moses uses a very harsh word to describe what's happening the next day. That word strike is the same word that was used to describe what Moses did to the, to the slave master. And in striking that slave master, he killed him. So this was a very, uh, this wasn't a, a playful slap. This wasn't something that would cause pain but not serious injury. Th- this was a serious fight that was going on that could have ended in death. So whatever exactly was happening, it was violent, and Moses tries to intervene, and we saw the answer in verse 14, didn't we? We saw how the the Israelites responded to Moses, like, who are you? We know that you killed that guy yesterday. Are you going to kill us too? Just one day later, I mean, they didn't have mass communication, but apparently the grapevine worked very well. Just one day later, he has an an interaction with two seemingly random Hebrew people, and they knew what happened. So Moses is all of a sudden afraid. Surely this thing is known. 
So Moses has been born a Hebrew. He was raised an Egyptian, not just any Egyptian. He was raised in Pharaoh's household. But he's identifying as a Hebrew, but when he goes to the Hebrew people, he's rejected. They look at him and go, who are you? Moses wrongly thought that they would look past his appearance, looking like an Egyptian, and focus on his action. That he was standing up for the little guy. He thought that they would look past his status of nobility and see that he was trying to very nobly rescue them. Luke, the author of the New Testament book of Acts, describes this situation. In Acts chapter 7, beginning in verse 22, Luke writes, And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in word and deed. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. Now verse 25 of Acts chapter 7. Moses supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. So in the New Testament, we get a little, a little more light shed onto what was happening in this passage. The author of the book of Hebrews also gives us a little more insight. In Hebrews 11, verses 24 and 25, By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, remember that's where we are today, Moses has grown up. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. That's how Hebrews puts it. Rather than enjoying the pleasures of being the son of Pharaoh's daughter, which had plenty of pleasures, I'm sure, plenty of luxuries, said, I would rather be an abused child of God than a pampered prince. Moses is choosing to identify with the Hebrew people rather than his Egyptian family, and so he makes this bold move. He sacrifices for knowing God. So we see Moses' struggle. We see his flight in verse 15. Pharaoh's heard of it. Pharaoh is not happy. It's true, as the prince of Egypt, Moses probably had lots of things he could have gotten away with. But when it comes to killing someone who was not a slave, but was actually over the slaves, when he killed an Egyptian person, that was not acceptable to the Pharaoh. So Moses flees to the land of Midian. He sat down by a well. Not only has Moses' Hebrew identity been rejected by the Hebrew people, he goes out that second day, and they already know that he's killed someone, and they want nothing to do with him. Not only is he being rejected by the Hebrew people, he's now rejected by Pharaoh. He's rejected by the Egyptians. Pharaoh's family is now against him. Pharaoh's actually, you're dead. You're dead to me, and you're going to be dead literally if I have anything to do with it. So Moses does what seems most logical in the moment, and he runs. Verses 16 and 17, we see Moses' new life. It's a very, very different life 
than what he had. He sits down by a well. God has clearly led him there based on what happens next. Verse 16, now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. But the shepherds came. These are shepherds that are not related to this priest. Uh, These are uh, people that would take advantage of uh, these girls and uh, these flocks. And so the shepherds came and drove them away, drove the girls away with their sheep. But Moses stood up and saved them and watered the flock. So Moses was forced out of Egypt because of his intuition, his desire to see justice done for his fellow Hebrew people. He's, he's forced out of Egypt because of his intuition to fight for the oppressed and to fight against injustice. And that intuition did not fade now that he's uh, under fear of his own life, now that he's left uh, everything that he's known as home and has gone to this foreign land. When they came home, verse 18, to their father Ruel, he said, How is it that you have come home so soon today? In other words, Moses, Moses helped them a lot. They said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. Just as in the previous paragraph, Moses' actions are told. When he killed the Egyptian slave master, those, that action was told. This time, the actions that are told are a positive action. And notice how the daughters described Moses in verse 19. They say, an Egyptian delivered us. Is Moses actually an Egyptian? No. He is Hebrew descent. Moses looked like an Egyptian. He sounded like an Egyptian. And as many of you are thinking, he probably walked like one too. Moses really did have an identity crisis. Born a Hebrew, born into slavery, born into poverty. He's then rescued from that to be in the palace with Pharaoh's daughter. He's raised an Egyptian, educated as an Egyptian. He looks the part, but he longs to be a Hebrew. So even as he... uh, he meets these people who don't know him, who have just for the first time laid eyes on him. They look at him and they view him as an Egyptian. So the, the father of these daughters says, where is he? Why have you left him behind? Call him that he may eat bread. And we fast forward now in the middle of, this, uh, of these verses, uh, years perhaps, as Moses is content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. The real man that Moses is, this man who fears God to the, to the degree that he knows God, and he knows God to a degree, this man is accepted among the foreigners, these people of Midian. The father's daughter doesn't care or the daughter, yeah, the daughter's father doesn't care that he is a Hebrew in Egyptian clothing. He cares that this foreigner rescued his daughters. So this father, again, in the rest of the book of, of Exodus, we know him as Jethro. Uh, this father is a priest. Verse 16 tells us he is the priest of Midian. So that begs the question, who are the people of Midian and what makes him a priest? Well, both questions can be answered with a little flashback to Genesis. 
in the book of Genesis, Abraham's wife, Sarah, died. Remember, uh, Sarah was the mother of the promised son, Isaac, the one that had been promised for decades before he was actually born. And, and, and Abraham had believed that God was going to keep his promise, but wasn't sure how he was going to do it. Uh, but Sarah uh, died and Abraham remarried. And, and for context, and this is more for trivia and for fun, Sarah uh, died 24 years bef- 25 years before Noah's son Shem. Wrap your head around that just a moment. Noah built the ark all the way back in Exodus chapters, what, 6, 7, 8, 9? Built the ark, and his son Shem lived 500 years after the flood, and he died. And 25 years before Shem died, Sarah died. So uh, Abraham and, uh, and Noah's direct descendants overlap in their lives. So Sarah died, Abraham remarries, Genesis chapter 25, verses 1 and 2. Abraham took another wife, whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Midian, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. One of Abraham's sons with his second wife is Midian. So Jethro here is also a direct descendant of Abraham, like Moses is, but not through the promised lineage. The Midianites in Numbers chapter 25, become a negative influence on the people of Israel, bringing in idolatrous worship. In the book of Judges, the Midianites are an enemy of Israel whom Gideon fights victoriously. But there must have been some oral tradition from Abraham that passed down through his children, even through Midian, to get to this man we know as Jethro, because he is a priest, and even though we were not told that he is a priest of God Almighty, he must have been because Abraham would not, or Moses, oh, this is bad. Moses would not have stayed with him if he were a pagan priest. So here we have the priest of Midian that Moses just happens to stumble upon. You don't believe that, do you? You know, I don't. God planned every step of the way. So either Jethro is a priest of the one true God, or he becomes converted by Moses. Either one is speculation, so we're not going to spend any more time on that. But based on Moses' character and the way that he is demonstrating his character in these verses, he, is, he would have been completely inconsistent to have stayed with a family that worshipped idols, that was a, a pagan, idolatrous family, and even marry one because of his devotion to God. So in verse 22 of Exodus chapter 2, Moses' wife gives birth to a son, and he's called Gershom, which means I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. Moses has a new life. He has a wife. He has a loving and accepting extended family. We know that he is well accepted by this family because many years later, as Moses is leading the nation of Israel, we see his father-in-law come in again. We see Jethro being a helpful advisor to Moses. So they remain close for all these years. He has a wife. He has an accepting extended family. He has a son. Moses had multiple ways that he identified himself. He was identified as a poor Hebrew slave. He became identified as a prince of Egypt. 
Hebrew by birth, Egyptian by status. In today's passage, he became a husband, a son-in-law, and a father, among many other uh, identity relationships that would be involved there. But most importantly, Moses belonged to God. And he knew it. Moses has left everything that he has ever really known as a result of his identity in God. Moses sacrificed to be in his relationship, to continue his relationship with God, to do what he knew God wanted him to do. So our question for us today is, what is it that our heart genuinely desires that we should sacrifice in order to serve God? What is it that our hearts have genuinely desired that we have given up because we desire God more than that thing, than that item, than that status? I know it's a hard question, but it needs to be asked because we need to recognize that that living for God means that there is an identity factor. If I'm truly going to live as a child of God, that means I can't be a child of the world. It doesn't mean we stand so separated. The, the scripture is clear that we must be integrated into the world, but stand different. How is it that my life or your life is different than the world around us that honestly worships convenience and worships uh, idols of the self. If our lives aren't different than our neighbors who don't know the Lord, then are we truly a child of God? I'm not suggesting you lose your salvation because, uh, because of sin or, or lack of initiative in your life. I'm not saying that at all. You know that I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is if we don't look like a child of God, if we don't act like a child of God in, in how we live, then how will we fulfill what God has designed for us? He has designed for us to make a difference in the world. Now for Moses, he has a, a little more special plan, a little more specific plan than he has for you and me. But the principles remain the same. Those who love God, those who are of God, those who are God followers will sacrifice for their relationship with God. Let's pray. Father, you sacrificed so greatly to be known as our Heavenly Father. Jesus, God the Son, sacrificed greatly so that we might be identified as children of God. Lord, help us to hold loosely the things of this world. Help us to identify as a child of God more than we identify as whatever status we hold in the community, whatever position we might be afforded by our finances. Lord, help us instead to be willing to give up all that. Moses gave up everything because he wanted to be identified with God more than the riches and luxuries of Pharaoh's house. And when rejected by his own people, 
He just left. Lord, I wonder what it is that we're holding on to. I'm sure it's different for each one of us. Father, help us to love you more than we love those things. We know that when we treasure you more than we treasure anything else, that, uh, that you bless, that you bring about a change of heart to where we, we no longer desire those things. And, and when we don't desire them, they no longer feel like a sacrifice. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to get to that point. Thank you for the examples in Scripture of uh, not only Moses, but, but many, many others who uh, did what was right in your eyes at great cost to themselves. Lord, help us to be men and women like that. Father, thank you for the example of Moses. Help us to learn from him and help us to live for you in Jesus' name. Stand and sing the last verse of Take My Life and Let It Be. pray. Father, we thank you for your words today. We pray that you help us to examine our lives and different roles we have in our lives that most of all we would concentrate on knowing and serving, following you with all our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.